I know people love to say they'll vote for the lesser evil because it's pragmatic, but I hate to be cliche. Well, it's still evil. And we're still engaging all these wars in the war on terror, which to me is a farce in and of itself. So it's frustrating to see someone who's so on the right track and she seems so sincere. I mean, honestly, the way she speaks, it's it doesn't seem like she's trying to put one over on us. It seems like she really believes there should be a war on terror. So bless her heart, but I'm not going to be endorsing her anytime soon. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com in a conversation that is being recorded for you on the 10th of June, 2019. And today we are joined on the line by a previous CorbettReport.com guest that I'm sure you will all remember from interview 1,249 in the Corbett Report archives, Carrie Widler on how government Sachs won the selection. But if you don't remember that, please do go back into the archives. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can re-listen to that conversation. And I hope you are subscribed to Carrie Widler's social media outlets. I won't say YouTube in particular because she's on Steemit and other places besides, which I'm more inclined to promote, but she's also on YouTube. And if you are following her, you might have seen a very interesting video that she posted recently. Why do Democrats and the mainstream media hate this veteran and presidential candidate? Question mark. Interesting, intriguing title. And to find out a little bit more about this video and what it means, we are talking to none other than Carrie Widler herself. Carrie, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, let's get down into the details of this video. First of all, which candidate are we discussing here? There's about 72 of them. So uh, which one are you singling out? That would be Tulsi Gabbard, who is a Democrat from Hawaii. She's currently a representative in Congress. And she has some interesting and some very good things to say. So, <laughs> Yeah, I would venture to say that everyone in this audience, specifically, will probably have heard of Tulsi Gabbard by this point. Um, because she is obviously not being promoted very heavily in the, the mainstream and is being sidelined and, and, uh, and marginalized. Primarily, one would imagine, because of her views on war, the war in Syria and other places. And so, as a result, she is being promoted in more alternative or alternative-ish outlets, like Jimmy Dore, I know, is a supporter, and uh, Joe Rogan had her on recently. So, she is getting some support from some not-so-mainstream sources, or alternative sources, whatever you want to call them. Um, but for those who don't know, for anyone who's just crawled out from under a rock and has no idea what's going on. Tell us a little bit about Tulsi and why she is uh, being promoted as kind of an alternative choice to the mainstream Democrat candidates. Sure, yeah. So the main thing for me, and I know for a lot of people who are outside the establishment conversation, she's very outspoken against U.S. interventionism. So whether that's Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, where else? Anywhere. She's been very, very, very outspoken and blunt about the effects it has and how counterproductive it is, both to the global situation and to the United States and to veterans. So that's something that I really respect her on. Um, something else that she she first caught my attention several years ago, actually, when she sponsored legislation with Rand Paul, it, I believe it was called the Stop Arming Terrorist Act, and it was to get the U.S. government to stop arming and training extremists. So that was pretty cool. She's also outspoken about the drug war. She's very much opposed to it uh, within the context of establishment politics, right? So she's not saying legalize all drugs, but you know she's very outspoken against the prohibition of cannabis, for example. So she appeals to a lot of people. And that's why I went to go see her speak when she was in California about a month ago. 
That's right. And you had uh, the chance to put a question to her, which we'll get to in a moment. But let's just underline that point that you're making. This is, of course, the context in which I've heard her campaign talked about the most is her anti-war position, which is, uh, as far as the Democrat candidates go, as far as I've seen, is by far and away the best. Uh, she even has in her vision section on Tul- votetulsi.com a end the war in Syria campaign issue. It's one of her campaign issues. She says, uh, it says, Tulsi is the leading voice in Congress calling for an end to America's interventionist wars of regime change that have cost our nation's trillions of dollars and thousands of lives. She's introduced a resolution that would end our illegal and counterproductive war to overthrow the Syrian government of Assad, which is creating more devastation, human suffering, and refugees while strengthening terrorist groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Sounds right to me. Yep, that sounds like the best uh, position a candidate for political office could hold. Which is an interesting stipulation, isn't it? The best position you could hold if you're going to be a presidential candidate. Well, let's get into that a little bit more then. So you had the chance to go see her speak and actually put a question to her, which you actually can see. Uh, you can see her, yourself asking and her answering your question in your video. So we'll once again direct people to your video specifically. But let's summarize for people out there. What was your question? What was her response? Sure. So the general question I posed was, Clearly, you know, you're aware of how destructive U.S. foreign policy has been. So are you at all skeptical of giving that kind of power to other parts of government? Like, could something possibly go wrong? (laughs) Um, And her answer was disappointing for me as someone who is sort of outside the entire political apparatus. But she basically said, we just have to elect the right people, Um, which I can't fault her for. She's running for president. So obviously she thinks she's one of the right people. But To me, it felt kind of like, well, what have people been doing before? Have they not always been trying to elect the right people? So how, what's going to change? How are we going to make a true difference? Um, And she didn't have much time, granted. And I would have loved to follow up on her response to me, but it was a very short amount of time. So that's all I got. It's very telling about the system itself. As you say, what other response could she really give to that? But it is an inadequate response, to say the least, (laughs) because precisely as you point out, yes, this system is set up so that, yeah, a candidate can be 100% right about one issue and 90% right about another issue and 42% right on another issue and 0% right on another issue. And well, that's better than 0% across the board, isn't it? So I better vote for this one. That is the system that we find ourselves bound in if we limit our political choice and action to the political realm of voting once every four years. So essentially, her answer is vote harder. (laughs) And extra point, because it underlines the fact that no matter what the outcome is, well, then that is the will of the electorate. So that is what people want. They elected who they want. So they're going to get the type of government they want. If 51% of the American people want interventionist wars around the world and arming Al-Qaeda and ISIS, then it's democracy. It's the will of the people. What are you going to do? Vote harder next time, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, where does this leave people of our ilk who are very interested and may even say that the anti-war policy is extremely important, maybe more important than all the other policies, so it would be better, I mean, you're going to have some president, you might as well have one that actually is against war and will actually work to, to end it, right? I mean, that's better than nothing. What, what, what is the alternative here? So... <laughs> That was that was part of the question I asked her was like, well, the likelihood that you're going to win is not great. You know, let's be realistic here. And she kind of, you know, gave me a, a little, well, what do you mean? Have hope, you know, because my, my follow up question is very brief. But it was like, well, what can people do outside of the political system? And 
she didn't really have an answer. It really came down to you have to vote. And she had, you know, raise awareness and whatnot, which I agree with. Um, but what it came down to, yes, she relatively compared to all these other candidates, she is by far the most anti-war candidate we could ever hope to have. But the problem is, and I think what speaks to the failures of the political system is that actually after I posted the video, I got some comments noting some of her policies that I had not seen when I went into that interview with her. And it was a bit disheartening because, again, I still respect her for speaking out. What she does say is so rare on the establishment political spectrum that I still want to give praise where it's due. But it turns out that although she voted against the NDAA last year, which, you know, is the military funding bill that always happens to slip in indefinite detention without trial for American citizens, she voted against that. But then she went on to fund all of the military operations. She voted for that. It was H.R. 6157. So uh, a little disappointing, Tulsi. And of course, it's packaged into a bill with health care and human services. And this is how politics works. And that's why it's so hard to find anyone that can really stick to their guns. And if they were to stick to their guns, actually have political success. And within that bill, for example, she all, there's a provision in it that says no funds can be used to close Guantanamo Bay prison. And that's a big issue. So for someone who says she's anti-war, which, yes, overall she is. Again, this is all relative, but it doesn't seem she's necessarily anti-war. She's anti-U.S. interventionism, but she's OK with Gitmo. You know, she doesn't want to be invading Syria to topple a leader, but she's OK with drone wars. And that became kind of sticky for me. And again, she's operating within a certain paradigm. And unfortunately, I think that that produces a kind of candidate who no matter what is going to have to compromise. And I know people love to say they'll vote for the lesser evil because it's pragmatic, but... I hate to be cliche. Well, it's still evil. And we're still engaging all these wars in the war on terror, which to me is a farce in and of itself. So it's frustrating to see someone who's so on the right track and she seems so sincere. I mean, honestly, the way she speaks, it's it doesn't seem like she's trying to put one over on us. It seems like she really believes there should be a war on terror. So bless her heart. But I'm not going to be endorsing her anytime soon. Well, if she was 100% this ingenuous and w was not on board with this in any way, uh, was was not really who she says she was, then I would expect that she would be promoted more heavily in the mainstream. She would be the Obama. Exactly. She would be a hope and change 2.0. Um, as it is, she's being largely marginalized and maybe could have some kind of Ron Paul, you know, dark, dark horse kind of run for the presidency, but we all know how that ended up anyway. So exactly. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, I hate to use the analogy, um, but it is, I mean, if you're going to bathe in feces, you're not going to come out clean. And that is what the political game in Washington is about. And as you say, they'll just bunch a bunch of things together. And, well, if you want to vote for this, you got to vote for that. And, and those are the games that are played, even if she was 100% genuine on uh, all the issues that she portrayed herself with, with as, and I even if you were 100% on board with all of her policy ideas. But I'm willing to bet that a lot of the people in the audience who have heard about Carrie, uh, <laughs> Carrie Whittler, <laughs> who have heard about Tulsi Gabbard, and who have, uh, who do support her anti-war position, would not support at least one of her other positions. I mean, for example, I'm sure her strict and sensible gun control law uh, policy is a great seller for her Democrat base, but, you know, there may be people on the Republican side of the equation, or, you know, Team Coke instead of Team Pepsi, who might not be on board with that part. So are you going to vote for that? Oh, okay, well, I'll take some gun control as long as we end the wars. Do I have to make that decision? What, What is the real point of this? So speaking of Obama and hope and change, I, I don't want to bring it up, but <laughs> we are talking to Obama girl who 
famously recanted and burnt her Obama shirt. Uh, if you don't remember that, I'll put that video in the, the show notes so you can go and watch that. But, uh, you know, this isn't... Uh, we've all uh, supported... Well, I have, and I'm sure many of the people out there have supported po politicians at one point or another, gotten excited about hope and change and the possibility. Can you speak to that experience and what that experience has taught you about the political game? Absolutely. So it's funny because I sort of said this in that video. So it's a video where I blowtorch my old shirt, which was an authentic shirt. I bought it in 2008 when I was really excited to vote for Obama. Um, but at the end of the video, I think a lot of Republicans who saw it were they had already zoned out because it, they already saw the fire, you know, like it was over. And I had this little explanation. And what I said was that what Obama taught me is that it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter who controls the government. It's still a mechanism of control. And you can't expect people. I mean, I don't, it was years ago. I don't remember the exact thing I said. But to elaborate on that, that's the nature of the beast. And in a sense, I'm actually grateful for Obama because had I not endorsed him and loved him so wholeheartedly, I wouldn't have had my heart broken when I found out his actual policies and I wouldn't have turned into a radical like I am. So I, I think it needed to be such a deep sting for me to really get the picture, you know, like, oh my gosh, this guy who said so many wonderful things and made so many amazing promises and who spoke so well and he hung out with celebrities and the Black Eyed Peas made a video about him and, uh, you know, all of these things that really got to my heart and really spoke to the hope I think a lot of people still have for the system, that was just shattered for me. And it allowed me to see what government really comes down to, which is power and control. So thanks, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> Not sarcastic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> it's one of those interesting things. You need to have your heart broken politically in order to be able to understand the system for what it is. And that comes in many different ways. And it is, I mean, it's the case that myself, I'm here because 9-11 and that horrible thing that happened. And hey, that isn't what they told us happened. And suddenly everything starts to change. It could be a political candidate that you got on board for that turned out to be not what you hoped for. But at some point you have to come to that and stare that in the face. So I don't I don't want to throw this in the face of people who are on their first rodeo, and this is the first time they've ever, oh, hey, you know, here's a pol politician that's saying the right thing on this issue, let's get behind her. I, I, I won't fault people for the first time that that's ever happened. The thing I find perplexing, beyond perplexing, aggravating, to be honest, is people who are doing this for the second, third, fourth, fifth, 18th, 87th time, you know, octogenarians who are getting excited about a new, 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 new hope and change for the however many times in their life. How is that? What is it about human psychology that makes that even possible? You know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of human beings, we're wired to want a leader, right? We're, we want to look to someone who can comfort us. But I mean, if you look at the public education system, it's my understanding and my belief based on my own experience and just watching the crowds evolve or devolve, you know, whatever you want to call it. It seems that from a very young age, we are programmed to believe that this democracy we have, this system of representation is an actual expression of our own freedom and our own individuality. So your vote is your voice. Voting is my superpower. You look at the protest signs from the Women's March in opposition to Donald Trump, and you see this very strong sentiment that it's the fact that you're allowed to participate in this system that the government gave you that you had no say in establishing that makes you, it makes you free. It makes you unique. You know, you have to go vote. You have to go press that button and you have to find someone that you like, even if you don't actually really like them, because otherwise you're not doing your duty. So for me, it comes down to, it's a very, to me, it's very sick and twisted that it, personal identity, which is, comes down to the individual is somehow mashed up into this collectivist nightmare where people are ruling over others and psychopaths are in power. 
Exactly right. So, of course, that does bring up the question, your follow-up question to Tulsi, which you say she did not answer particularly uh, uh, thoughtfully, which is, so what can we do other than politics to actually (laughs) change the system that we see? So what is the answer or what is an answer to that question? Right. Well, for the war machine, I mean, I agree with her, at least on spreading awareness. And something I find interesting about her, she doesn't really focus on civilian casualties overseas. That doesn't seem to be something she hammers home a lot. And at first I wanted to be mad at her. And then I thought, well, the people supporting wars here don't care about that. So I've been saying this for years and it's not like anybody who's a neocon has suddenly gone, oh no, the children, you know, they don't care. Um, But I I agree with her with raising awareness at least because there are people who can hear a message and think critically and question their beliefs. But aside from that, war machine, what do we do? We just, we can't pay our taxes. We shouldn't be funding it. And that's a tough sell for a lot of people. But outside of that, I'm a big proponent of decentralization and community-based solutions. Like people need to actually take action. And I think that's what's so frustrating for me about the political system is people just believe that they go and vote one day every few years and they've done their duty and that's it, you know, and they're, and it's so frustrating. They come out to a protest once every few years, they vote once every few years and that's that. So I think what really needs to happen is a shift of really individual responsibility. We have to actually do things to make a difference. You really do have to vote with your dollar. You have to use decentralized cryptocurrency, for example. Like if you don't want to be subject to the fiat currency and the monopoly we have there, that's again, to speak to Tulsi's question or the Tulsi's answer, it's like, lady, the banking industry is one of the, that the government is so deep in that. And look what happened. Um, regardless, I, I think people just really need to start looking towards solutions. And there's so many, if you look at technology, I mean, people are 3d printing homes for a fraction of the cost of what's available on the housing market. I'm in California, so you can imagine how screwed up the market is here and how many people are really suffering. But there really are so many options. I really think 3D printing is going to be huge, but it's not just that. There's so many different ways that people are taking action. And it seems like every day there's a new development that's tackling a problem we're facing that was probably in some way somehow linked to government and government being in bed with really powerful corporations that became so powerful because of government. So it can be really overwhelming to see how much darkness there is, but I'm always heartened and always inspired just by the individual actions people are taking every single day. Oh, people taking action for themselves. No, no, no. Leave it to government. As VoteTulsi.com assures us, Tulsi is committed to protecting Medicare and Social Security, and she's received a 93% grade from the Alliance for Retired Americans because she has voted and pledged to protect Social Security from privatization. And, uh, you know, you can go and read about her economic ideas and how she's going to help businesses grow, because that's what governments are there for, to steer the economy and manage it. We know that works so well. And, of course, nothing I can find on her page about the Federal Reserve. Hmm, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure she has some sensible ideas about what to do about the Federal Reserve and the banking industry in general. I just can't seem to find them. Um, but well, she we is, wouldn't want to cut off the money supply, you know, for all of those social services that she keeps voting. Well, exactly support. right. I mean, you got to print it into existence somehow. Um, <laughs> and just parenthetically, she is on the member roster of the Council on Foreign Relations. But of course, I mean, you have to be. If you're going to be a presidential candidate, you got to play ball, James, to be pragmatic. Yeah. I, uh, you know, she had to vote for Hillary Clinton. I learned that today. (laughs) Some, yeah, some, but you got to play ball with the system in order to make it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. (laughs) Like when uh, Ron Paul in 2012 uh, hung up the hat and and did that Republican thing. Oh, you know, oh, yay. Now we can get behind the Republican candidate, whoever that is. Who is it? Oh, Romney. Sure. Whatever. Yay. (laughs) 
And yeah. just like Sanders, I'm sure a lot of the people who were going to vote for Gabbard probably were on board with Sanders. And we yeah. all saw what happened there. And, you know, you got to vote for Hillary now. <laughs> it just never ends. And it's just, I feel like I'm, I, am I the only one who sees this? Or, I don't know. But I know I'll get people who are angry at me because, well, you got to support Tulsi, James. But I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to support any political critter who wants to assume that uh, power and authority over people and legitimize the system by getting you to participate in it yet again. As long as they can get you to buy a ticket for another ride, then you'll be in for the next four years, and then they'll have another hope and change candidate four years later who won't deliver on any promises. Exactly. And we'll just keep making excuses for them because we haven't been shown anything else. And so I think that really is to come back just to what can people do. People always tell me all I do is complain. You know, even though I have a video about solutions that I was just talking about, they still tell me all I do is complain to which I say, okay, well, first of all, I feel like it's if you think that talking about us losing our civil liberties and people dying is complaining, I feel like we need to have a separate conversation. But aside from that, I really think that that is a solution. We need to change how people perceive this entire system. I Maybe that's lazy because I'm not advocating something to actually do, but we can use cryptocurrency all we want. If we're not thinking outside of the established order, nothing will ever Well, really exactly change. right. If you're not doing something consciously and intentionally for a specific purpose and know why you're doing it, then you will get led down the wrong path in the same way that cryptocurrency, I mean, Bitcoin will fork and fork and fork until it's fedcoin.gov or government sex <laughs> exactly. coin, right? I mean, it is going to, it is heading in that direction because yeah, well, you got to play ball, you got to do KYC and you got to file your taxes and all of this. No, no, that's not quite what cryptocurrency was about. Oh, wait, too late. It's already a you know, Fed coin. So uh, exactly. again, it is it is about the revolution of the mind. I've made this point many times, but and it's funny, I've done dozens and dozens of podcasts and episodes and videos about solutions, even specifically titled solutions. And but people always say you never provide any solutions. <laughs> well, and, and the other point that I always point out is I do a Prob uh, a, a podcast on the crisis of science or something like that, it'll get a lot of attention, a lot of people watching, a lot of people commenting. I'll do one about <laughs> solutions to the crisis of science, it gets crickets. Because no one cares about the solutions. They just like to mouth those words. Um, exactly. Sadly. But is, if yeah. you can provide them with an answer like, hey, why don't you just vote for this candidate? And that's the solution. Then everyone can get on board with that because they at least feel like they've done something. It's the feeling of doing something. Exactly. It really is. And that's what democracy sells us. <sighs> this is not a happy conversation, but it is a needed one. It is a slap in the face to anyone out there who is going to fall for the hope and change yet again. And I just want to be there screaming again, yet again. I feel like a broken record that this isn't the, the answer. I'm going to direct people once again to your video, which in six and a half minutes, I think probably did a better job of summarizing what we're talking about than we just rambled about in half an hour. But I, I think this is an important conversation to have and one, unfortunately, we do need to continue to have because there are far too many statists out there that still continue to believe in and legitimize the system every four years when they're given their chance to do so. Um, so we will direct people to that video in particular, but obviously your work in general. Tell us about uh, the work that you're doing now and your problems with uh, getting that word out to people on various controlled social media platforms. Right. So I'm actually banned from Twitter personally forever, uh, as is the antimedia.org. You might have heard of us. We were removed from Facebook and Twitter on the very same day, October 11th of last year. A lot of other pages were also purged. So um, it's still sad to talk about, but I, we no longer do original content. We still serve as a news aggregation service. So we draw news from all over the independent media, and that is very useful. Um, but it was quite a blow to a lot of independent media platforms working 
through Facebook, working through social media. So at this point, algorithms be damned. I'm just going to keep putting my content out there. Sometimes it feels like I'm screaming at a wall because I'm sure, as you've noticed, algorithms have very much changed since the 2016 election in particular. And it seems like, how could no one be seeing my work? I have this number of followers. Is my work bad? I mean, it becomes like this mind F, you know, where I'm just like, uh, is it me? Is it them? Is it, I don't, I can't prove it, but I don't, I know that it's not the same as it used to be. So, um, I definitely went through a mourning process after the anti-media was taken down. I went through like the stages of grief. I was in denial and I was angry. I think I finally accepted it. And the way is to just move forward. I know a lot of people, they're not stopping people who have been dealing with this. I'm not stopping. I think the people who do what we do, it's like, we've come this far. I'm not going to shut up now. Even if I reach three people, it is what it is, you know? Um, so you can still visit the antimedia.org and, um, you can see all of the other great work other outlets are doing, but unfortunately we were hobbled for. Well, this actually, hobbled. yeah, yeah, this Go goes on. back to what I was just saying, because I did an entire series last year on social media alternatives. You don't have to go on the controlled Twitter, Facebook, whatever, YouTube that we know are de- demonetizing and banning people left, right and center. There are many alternatives out there. But again, crickets, it got probably the least attention of anything I've done in the past couple of years because <laughs> again, people don't want to hear it. <laughs> it's not right. pragmatic. Everyone's on YouTube, so you can't you can't go on anything else. I'd like to think otherwise. But even if it's not the case. Again, I'm not going to play a controlled, rigged game with people that we know are out to censor and stop our message from getting out to the masses. We have to build the alternatives exactly in the polit- as it's the same in the political realm. Rather than waiting for some politician to come and offer it from on high, we have to build the alternatives. And uh, this is an object lesson for anyone out there who thinks the censorship isn't coming for them. It is. It might take a while to get to you, but they will come for yeah. you. So. Yep. <sighs> anyway happy conversation <laughs> yeah all right well uh on a more positive note i will put the links to the antimedia to your work to steam it and other places where they can find your your work and hopefully we will get the word out about this and other issues so carrie Wedler, we're going to leave the conversation there for today thank you so much for coming on thank you so much for having me